0: Um, Our text today is in the book of Ruth. If you will turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. I'm not going to read the entire text this morning. But I'll read verses 1 through 10 and then 14 through 22. But the text for this morning goes through chapter 2 verse 12. Ruth chapter 1. And starting in verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malan and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return to, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. Verse 14, then they lifted up their voices and wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her and she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of Barley Harvest. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your um, historical accounts. And we thank you, Lord, that they encourage us to live for you. We pray, Lord, this morning that you would use this time to reveal yourself to us, to grow us in your wisdom But also, Lord, that our hearts would be changed. That we would have a deeper desire to live for you. That your people would be our people. And we would be your people. So, Lord, I pray that you would guide us in your ways. That you would bless and anoint Paul with wisdom and clarity in his thoughts and in his words. And that the words that you have laid upon his heart would move upon our hearts. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: We are in this series on the oaths of God, considering the covenants that God has made with people and, uh, and also with us, and understanding that God works with those commitments that he has made in the covenants. These covenants help us to have faith in God and in God's purposes. Several times I have already brought out to you that if you're a Christian and you are included in what's called the New Covenant, even though we're in the Old Testament here, I want to keep that in your mind all the time. I want you to understand that we are in the New Covenant in Christ and therefore God's commitment to us is an unfaltering commitment. It's a, it's a, an oath that He has taken on our behalf to be faithful to us, to love us, to carry us through, to bring us through even those tough times in our lives. God has not left us alone. He is always with us and He will never forsake us. Now, this story of Ruth, it's very interesting and important to understand the context, the historical context of the book. The opening passage tells us that this story happened during the days of the judges. Now, we've skipped the judges in uh, in this series. There were certainly some, some great passages that we could have looked at. But all in all, the times of the judges is really, it represents the lowest of the low times of Israel. Equivalent in a historical sense to Baal Peor, if you remember there, where Balaam seduced the people of Israel with the women of Moab to go after strange gods and to defy God to his face. Well, Judges is kind of the result of that spirit. It's a, a, a time of several hundred years um, where Israel and the tribes of Israel are fragmented. Satan appears to have done a very effective work in dismantling the tribes of Israel so that they are against each other. They don't really, uh, you know, See each other as um, as brethren, as Israelites. They're very fragmented, very splintered. Uh, the end of the book of Judges is uh, some of the most uh, difficult and disturbing reading in the whole of the Bible. Ruth comes in the middle of uh, of that period. So probably about 100, 150 years before the time of David and his reign. So there's the background. Things aren't doing very well in Israel. But the book of Ruth, in contrast to the book of Judges, is all about hope. And it's all about love. It's about uh, a particular understanding of love, not the Hollywood understanding of love, or the, um, you know, the the fiction view of love, where emotion and romance is the main thing. It's not the emotion and the romance and that right fuzzy feelings are not good things in their place, but they are not constituents of love anywhere in the Bible. Even that love chapter that we all know, First Corinthians chapter 13, feeling and romance is not one of the distinguishing characteristics of love. And so it is also in the Old Testament and in this book, this book of Ruth, which is a book which exemplifies what love is. The particular Hebrew word that's used, it's an important word. and I wouldn't normally give you the Hebrew and the Greek from the pulpit. I know some preachers do, but it's like you give that word out and, and uh a person might run with it and, and get the wrong idea out of it or just think, well, you know, he's just giving me, he's just showing that he knows a bit of stuff that I don't know. Uh, either way, that's not helpful. But this particular word is called hesed, hesed. And the uh, the New Testament term is agape. Okay, they're pretty close Uh in meaning. Hesed is usually translated as loving kindness. Loving kindness. Uh, that's kind of a, a a compound word putting together kindness towards somebody, but mixed with a biblical understanding of what love is. Okay? So loving kindness. And this book of Ruth is a book about loving kindness. It certainly doesn't seem to start out that way, does it? We're in the days of the judges. And Naomi, whose name means pleasant, has with her husband Elimelech and her two sons Marlon and Chilian been faced with a uh, famine in the land, and so has followed her husband into the country of Moab. Yes, Moab, that place that um, was the enemy of Israel. And she's gone there. And she's dwelt there ten years. But during that ten years, circumstances has been have been avid, any, everything but good to her. She has lost her husband which means she has lost uh, the one who was the love of her life, were her companion in life, and also her protector and provider. But she had Marlon and Chilean, her sons, who in that culture would have taken her in and would have protected her and looked after after her. But Marlon and Chilean also died in that country of Moab. So... Naomi, who is an outsider, she's a foreigner in Moab, is now completely on her own, apart from her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, verse 4. But Orpah and Ruth, they are not providers, they are not people who can help provide or protect And so Naomi decides, because she's heard of a harvest now in Israel, she decides to return home to Israel, but she's destitute. This beginning of the book of Ruth is what uh, the Puritans used to describe as a frowning providence. A frowning providence. We like to think about God always ready to do good to us and to bless us. And and of course, He is good. But He does not always shield and protect us from calamities and from difficulties in life. We live in a cursed world. We live in a world of sickness and of death and of curse. We live in a world where Satan rules. We live in a world where human sin abounds. And we live in a world where tragedies happen all too often. You think, well, why couldn't God do something about this? Why couldn't he help? Why couldn't he intervene? And of course, the answer coming back from me, would be, I don't know, okay? We don't always know God's ways. We can't always understand why he helps here and intervenes here and doesn't intervene there. But what we do know for sure is that we live in a cursed world and that bad things happen in a cursed world. And God is not uh, going to come down with a big super God uh, t-shirt to rescue us from every single calamity. What God requires is that through our lives, through the pathways that we are taken down, that we trust him. And that he will bring us through it. It may seem as though God has forsaken Naomi. But this story is all about the fact that God has not forgotten about her. That God is going to take care of her. God is going to turn her bitterness back into pleasantness. Naomi, as I said, means pleasant. But when she arrives back in Bethlehem, the, you know, the, the city is astir, verse 19... And it's all excited because here is Naomi. They remember her. They remember this woman who's called Pleasant. But she said to them, verse 20, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Bitter. This reflects both what has happened to her and the way she feels right then at that moment. It must have been a very, very difficult experience for her coming back empty, completely empty and destitute, to the place that she left with her husband and two sons. She's utterly vulnerable and she's here with Ruth, who we'll meet in a moment. Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. Now. We might think in our modern day, this is not the right way to talk about God. This is disrespectful. This is not worshipful. This is not uh, the language of faith. What it is, though, is the language of honesty. What it is, is not painting over the circumstances that have afflicted her, the wave upon waves. Of, uh, death and, uh, pain that she's experienced. We must, as Christians, we must not paint over the pain of other people. And we must not paint over our pain either. We must look at it. We must See it for what it is. How on earth can we have compassion on people if we're not willing to enter into their difficulties and into their bitternesses? Just because we may be riding high and circumstances may be working out for us doesn't mean that we can assume that stance when we're talking to somebody who has been afflicted? We have got to get off our high horse, and we've got to enter into that difficulty. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. Do you remember the story? It's one of my favourite stories from the Gospels. It's in Mark chapter one, where it speaks of the, the leper who uh, he wants to be made clean. Lepers were outcasts in the ancient world. Nobody would touch them. Can you imagine not being touched by another human being for years and years? Of being shunned, of having to actually say, unclean, unclean. For years and years, driving people away from your society. And the leper comes up to Jesus and says, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I will be clean. But he doesn't just say the words. Jesus reaches out and touches him while he's saying, I will. That's the difference. Do you see? That's the difference. That's the compassion of God. That's the love of God. Because that's what the leper needed, not just Healing of his leprosy, he needed the human touch. He needed compassion. He needed to know that somebody was there for him, that cared for him, that understood the pain that he'd been going through. So here is Naomi, and she's been brought very low. Sometimes that happens in life. You know, we hear Stories sometimes it, we have our own stories don 't we of how things have just not turned out, not only have they not turned out, but they have just got worse and worse. I remember when I did a conference years ago in Oklahoma, and um, we we visited a Christian bookstore then do you remember those places? Uh, we visited a Christian bookstore and uh, the pastor of the of the church. He took this lady aside and was talking to her, and she was weeping, and and so on. And I, you know, after he dealt with her, I asked her, you know, asked him what were the issues, and um, he says she has had so many difficulties in her life. Um, she lost a son to a traffic accident. She lost another son uh, to, uh, you know, the uh, The uh, motor racing. And then her husband had been afflicted with this disease where his body could not hold water. So his skin would dry, it would dry up all the time. It was an awful affliction. And in circumstances like that, It would be so easy, wouldn't it, to think God is against me rather than to understand that this is something that in God's providence is happening to us, as difficult and as painful as it is, but God is going to be with us through it. You say, well, I don't want that. Thank you very much. And I understand that. But love is not about the good times so much as it is about what you're doing, how you are committed to somebody in the bad times. God is committed to us in the bad times. Naomi wants Ruth to uh, to turn back. Orpah, the other one, to turn back. There was no prospects for them at all. You know, as Moabite women, no prospects of getting a husband and therefore no prospects of protection uh, in Israel for them. Remember, this is the days of the judges. This is not a good time. So Orpah turns back, but Ruth clings to Naomi. Naomi is not going to be left alone. This clinging to Naomi means that Ruth is sacrificing her future. I hope that you understand that. She's sacrificing a, 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 a husband that she could have got if she'd have returned. She was still of marriageable age. And any prospects that she might have, she's giving them all up basically. There is nothing that uh, when Naomi pledges herself in verses 16 and 17 to Ruth, it's not pledging herself to a great future. It's giving it all up. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Well, she was certainly a strong believer in in the God of Israel. Where you die, I will die. But we'll go together. That was the thing. We'll be in this and go through this together. I'm not leaving you alone. That's hesed. That's love. That's commitment. And the whole story of Ruth is written in this spirit. This spirit of this committed loving kindness. This Hesed, this, this biblical kind of love clings to the object of love even though that means suffering and it means sacrifice and it means no prospects. It means you don't know what's going to, what's ahead, but you're going to stay in it. But where is God in all of this? This is, this is Naomi, this is Ruth. But what is God's role in all of this? What's he doing? Well, the the actual response of the Lord is only uh, mentioned once in in this uh, book. But God's providence is working behind the scenes in everything. Just like we see in the book of Esther also. You see, God's love for Naomi, and this book is really mainly about Naomi. It's actually not more about Ruth, although Ruth is the exemplification of love. But um, God's love for Naomi is first shown through Ruth. You see... Naomi and Ruth knowing each other and being left together with each other is the product of the providence of God. It is the presence of God with Naomi in the person of Ruth. What is Naomi's view of God? Well, we've just read it. He's dealt very bitterly with me. He's I went out full, I've come back empty. That's her view of God. She actually doesn't mention that she's got Ruth standing right next to her. When she reports back to uh, the people in Bethlehem. But let's look behind the scenes a little bit. Let's note God's providence. Verse 22 tells us that Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. At the beginning of the barley harvest. The time where there's going to be a lot of food, a lot of bounty. They leave in famine but they come back or Naomi comes back at the time of the harvest so the timing of her appearance back in Bethlehem is a good time as far as when she shows up the season that she comes back but then we didn't read this but we can uh, we can look at it quickly now Ruth is not going to sit idly by with uh, Naomi. She's going to look after Naomi. So verse 2 of chapter 2 says, Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. She's going to go into these fields. Now, she's going to go into these fields. She is a foreigner. She's a Moabitess. She's a young woman. And to be a young woman and a foreign young woman, just going on her own, unescorted, into the barley fields was a dangerous thing to do. But they were desperate. And Ruth was going to make sure that Naomi had something to eat. And so she goes into the field. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come. Just so happened. I mean, by luck, dumb luck, she ends up in the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Just happened to be that, you see? Or maybe not. Or maybe that was God's providential hand, putting her in that place. And then verse 4, now behold. And the idea is, oh, well, guess what? Look, Boaz came From Bethlehem and said to the reapers, "The Lord be with you." So, just at the time that Ruth is there, gleaning, well, wouldn't you know? Here's Boaz, and he shows up too. He's the landowner. He's this powerful, mighty man, and he happens to be related to to Naomi. Again, showing the providential hand of God in these difficult circumstances. God is there. He hasn't gone away. He does show up. He shows up through Ruth, and he shows up through Boaz. In verses 5 through 11, we get the conversation between Boaz and Ruth. Boaz said to the, his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? He doesn't know. He doesn't know who she is. He's not seen her before. But he notices that there is a young woman who's on her own, who's extremely vulnerable. There's nobody. I mean, in, in these days, you had to have a, a man who you were connected with. If you weren't a man who you, if you weren't connected with a man, either a father figure or a husband or a brother or something like that, you were fair game. And you were considered that way. Whose woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with. Naomi from the country of Moab. Uh, Are you noting the repetition in this book of Moabite? It it shows up all the time. It's emphasizing she's a foreigner. She's an outsider. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, "You will listen, my daughter. You will, uh, will you not? Go not to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women." What Boaz is doing in saying that is saying, "You can stay here. You are secure here. You don't have to go anywhere else." So Boaz, who exemplifies God's protection and love for Ruth and therefore for Naomi. Naomi Is telling her, you have security, you can stay here. Let your eyes, verse 9, be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? What's that? Safety. So he's now looking after her safety as well. This is God working on Ruth's behalf through Boaz. Because Boaz is a man of God. A man of God. What are the chances a man of God in the time of the judges? Just so happens to be a relative... She just so happens to be in the relative's field. And he just so happens to be a man of God. This is God. This is God showing up. This is God's commitment to Ruth and to Naomi. Hasn't forgotten. Yes, they have been through tragedy. Yes, they've been through difficulty. And it's been painful and it's been hard. But God knows, God has not forsaken them. This is a story of God's committed love. Because in, because Naomi has a companion because of God's love. And they now have hope in Boaz because of God's love. Continuing here, when you are thirsty, uh, second part of verse 9, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that I should take, you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And the word here that he uses is kind of the lowest of the low. There the, the ancient societies were very stratified. Okay, very stratified. And the very lowest was a foreigner who had no one to talk, uh, to speak for her. That was Ruth. She's at the bottom of the pile. So why is it that you're speaking to me this way? She's, she's amazed. Boaz answered and said, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law. Since the death of your husband, he knows about the death of her husband, he knows about the tragedy. And how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. This is compassion. This is, this is Boaz showing God's love in his understanding of Ruth's plight and how Ruth has stuck with Naomi in her plight. Ruth, because she has shown this committed, sacrificial love towards her mother-in-law, Naomi. Leaving everything that she knew, coming to this foreign place where she's the lowest of the low, this has been reported to the right person, not to somebody who couldn't care less, but to Boaz, the family member, the man of God, whose heart has been Uh, warmed by this news and by the faithfulness of this young woman. He's already impressed with her. He didn't know, he'd not seen her before, which explains verse 5, but he has heard about her. In her difficulty and in her plight, Ruth reflected the love of God in her commitment to her mother-in-law. And so God saw that. God responded. And brought Boaz into her life. She now has security and she has safety and therefore Naomi has security and safety. Two things they didn't have before. And finally... In verse 12, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, the covenant God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. This is the blessing. This is the blessing coming from this man of God who recognizes that God has brought this Woman into his life, into his circle of influence, and he can be a blessing too. So where is the love of God in this story? Has it utterly deserted Naomi? Is it not with Ruth because she's an outsider, not an Israelite? No, the love of God is shown through Ruth. Toward Naomi and it's shown to Ruth through Boaz. God's love should be seen through us. So the challenge, the challenge here to us is are we the kinds of people who are willing to love in this way? Not in this emotional frothy way that doesn't last for very long. You know, you're up in a can of pop, it froths for a while, and it it goes dead, doesn't it? Yeah, you, know, you wouldn't even drink it, you throw it away. But proper love, true love, is sacrificial, it's committed to the object of its love. It is willing to suffer alongside. That means it's Humble because it doesn't put itself first. I need this. I want this. Okay? That's, that's foreign to love. It seeks, it doesn't seek its own. Are we willing to be vessels of that kind of love? Because that is a love that will cling, a, lo- a love that will bond itself to the object of its love of its care it is an example of God's covenant love God does love us and we're going to see we'll see next week as we uh, finish the story where God's covenant love brings this story around from tragedy to rejoicing and hope there is a, an upturn in their fortunes, but that upturn is all dependent on the love of God through his saints. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to understand this more. We tend to be very selfish and short-sighted and not willing to suffer for other people, not willing to suffer alongside other people, because we want to put ourselves first and uh, our, um, our good fortune first. But Lord, that's not what Ruth did. She was willing, Lord, to forsake everything, her hopes, her prospects, her dignity, in order to be a companion to her mother-in-law. And you can use that kind of love. You can use that kind of faithfulness. That is the kind of love that you have towards us in Jesus Christ. Because only that would have brought him to the cross to die in our place. Help us, Heavenly Father, to accept that love. Accept that love for us right now. If we're a Christian, Lord, help us to accept that you haven't forsaken us, that you are with us in our present circumstances. And, uh, Lord, you'll walk through these circumstances with us. Help us to trust you and give everything over to you that we can't handle and that we're not supposed to handle. And help us, if we're not Christians, Lord, to come to the cross where we can find the love of God, the mercy of God, and the grace of God poured out to us as we confess our sins and accept his grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.